Before I begin the message for today, I uh, was thinking last night as I saw the uh, announcement about the Financial Peace University uh, seminar that uh, uh, it's a little ironic, I thought, that uh, if you're in some need of some help financially to organize things, um, come to this. And it's $80 uh, to come. So I thought, do you need to go? I mean, if you got 80 bucks laying around, you just throw it around like that. Uh, so last night I said, and I'm going to say the same thing today, that I think if people need to go to that, they ought to be able to, uh, uh, to go to it without paying 80 bucks. And so I said last night to the crew, I said, um, if you'd like to sponsor a family to uh, participate in that um, seminar, write your name on a little piece of paper and slide it to me after the service. And so two things. One, if you'd like to do the same, as I said last night, you'd write your name on a piece of paper and sponsor a family to take it. And uh, based on the response last night, I'm here to tell you that if you want to take that class, we got plenty of scholarships for you to take that class. And I'm going to guess after today, you probably can as well. So if you want to, uh, <clears throat> if you want to do that, just you know, if you want to sponsor, just slide me a little note. And if you'd like to have a scholarship, let the church office know. All right. I really do not like uh, the title of today's sermon. Now, I picked it, but I don't like it. And the reason that I don't like it is that it suggests that there is a formula for how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't like this sermon title any more than I would like a book title that said, um, A Checklist Approach to a Happy Marriage. Now, why would that be a horrible title for a book? Well, it's because a marriage is a relationship. And to suggest that there is a checklist approach to having a happy marriage is to miss the fact that it is a relationship which means it is personal. It is dynamic. A wife is not a checklist item. She is a person. Similarly, the Holy Spirit is a person. We are in a relationship with him. It is spiritual, but it is relational. And so I don't want in any way to suggest that there is like these three things you do and then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not at all. We are forgetting in that, that he is God. He is God. Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus that the spirit blows wherever he wills. In other words, we cannot control the Holy Spirit. And our little formulas and checklists cannot control the Holy Spirit. We can't catch the wind. We can't catch the Holy Spirit. He will do whatever he wants to do. So... Uh, all we can do is to seek him. And that's really what I want to big picture, uh, to say is that if you want to be filled with the Holy spirit, you need to seek him. You don't seek his blessings. You seek him. He is the blesser and there are fruits that are blessings, but we come to God and we say, I want you. Or as I read in my, in the word this morning, There's nothing on earth that I desire more than you. 
And I think when we come to him in that kind of a spirit, he loves to bless us and to bring his fruits and all those blessings. But we don't seek the blessings, we seek the blesser. And in this case, as we talk about the Christian's relationship with the Holy Spirit, uh, we are seeking God himself. In our series, we have been working through 1 Corinthians, and we came to chapter 12, and I said, listen, we're going to not only develop a theology of uh, spiritual gifts, but we're also going to develop a theology of the Holy Spirit, or as the theologians call it, pneumatology. We're going to understand this third person of the Trinity, I think, in a much clearer way, and I hope that that's the case. We got to verse 13, and it says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all given one Spirit to drink. And we had a whole message on the subject of baptism in the Spirit, or the Spirit's baptism. And what we saw there was that it is a, it is a, uh, a descriptive word, a summary word, go ahead and put it up, for the dramatic work of the Spirit at conversion, which all Christians experience, and which unites us and locates us into the one body of Christ. There are no passages of Scripture that tell us to seek the baptism of the Spirit. We don't do it. This is something that the Spirit does. So if you are a Christian here today, you have been baptized in the Spirit. You have been located into the one body of Christ. So then we said, well, okay, that's wonderful. And it really is wonderful. And there's tons of implications about it. But I've already preached that message, so I won't get going on it. But we, we asked the question, how do we describe the life in the Spirit? How do we describe, if I can say it this way, the experiences of living the Christian life in the Spirit? What terminology does the Bible use to describe that? And last week, we took a look at Ephesians 5.18, which says, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, many of you were not here. It was a holiday. Like a thousand of you were not here last weekend. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I feel the need to do a little bit of summary here and to encourage you to get online and to listen to the message uh, because I can't do it full justice in a summary. But just to summarize, we talked about why the Apostle Paul puts those two um, concepts next to each other, being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And we said that, you know, in a sense, you would never expect those two things to go together because to be drunk with wine is, is a vice. It is a sin. To be filled with the Spirit is a virtue, is a good thing. So why, why, why compare those two things? They don't seem to be compatible. And what we said was the, the thing that Paul is, is bringing up with those two together is that when somebody is filled with alcohol, that alcohol has a permeating effect on the entirety of their personhood. It affects the way they think. It affects the way they talk. It affects their body. It affects the way they act. It affects their perception of everything. In a sense, you could say, the al when somebody is filled with alcohol, the alcohol is in control of them. And that is what he is bringing up when he talks about the filling of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit 
means similarly that the spirit is permeating the entirety of my personhood is affecting and transforming the way that I think and the way that I talk and the way that I act so that in a very real sense to be filled with the spirit is to be controlled by the spirit. And that's the thing that I I hope that we bring out of this, uh, the, the concept of filling is not liquid. When we hear filling, we want to think of liquid. So like I have, I have uh, you know, like I'm a gas tank in my car. I'm 50% full of the spirit and I'm 50% have the flesh. Oh, now I'm three quarters of the way filled with the spirit and I've got 25% uh, that is the flesh. And so it suggests that kind of thinking. Throw that out the window. Do not think of it this way. Here's why. When you came to Christ, you got all of the spirit. The issue of filling is how much of, uh, of you the Spirit has. How much of you is the Spirit in control? And on that, in that picture, I said, I think a better analogy uh, is to think of filling like you would think about a horse and a rider. And I uh, told a very wonderful and scintillating story <laughs> about my family growing up and showing horses. And I illustrated it with a show horse and how a show horse becomes a show horse and how every horse is born with a natural instinct to live for self, wants to be in control, run wild. For that horse to become a show horse, it has to be broken. And when it is broken, now essentially to be broken means that the horse willingly takes a rider and will submit to the desires of that rider. And the more that that horse submits to the desires of the rider, the more amazing things that the horse and the rider can do together. Now we showed a little clip at the end of the, uh, at the end of the service. And, you know, we want you to always be on your toes. Some of you service was done and you were like sprinting out the door and you missed it. But, uh, we sort of, we thought this would be kind of fun to throw it in as everybody was leaving. And so go ahead. We just showed a clip of, of, uh, some amazing horsemanship, um, where you see a horse and a rider in complete sync with one another. When they're not, when they're not in sync, disaster, right? That's a rodeo. But when they are in sync together, they can do pretty amazing things. And, told a story about my sister and I've been asked all week, was that your sister? That's not my sister. Okay. (laughs) Just let me make that clear. Uh, she could never do that kind of thing. (laughs) And it's a good thing. She's actually going to be here next weekend. So I'm glad I could say that this week. But if you see the analogy, I hope that you do. In salvation, essentially, what we are doing is we are, we are broken. We are taking a rider. We are surrendering to God. And now with this rider, the daily challenge that we have is the same challenge that a horse has every time the rider gets on him. Once again, I must surrender. I was broken in the past, but now I must surrender again to the leadership, the control of the rider. And this is the daily battle that we have, isn't it? To again today to wake up and to say, you know what? I have surrendered my life to Christ uh, when I came to faith. But today, once again, I want my life to be what you want. Holy Spirit, will you please lead me? And the degree to which he is leading and he is in control is the degree to which I am filled with the Spirit. So filling, therefore, is not a feeling, although 
it can sometimes intensely be that. The filling of the Spirit is and leads to the fruit of the Spirit. So to be, to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled with the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit is to bear His fruit in our life. Now, Galatians talks about this inward battle that the Christian has between the flesh and the Spirit. And I want to read it with you. If you turn to Galatians 5 with me. And I think if you've been a Christian for any amount of time at all, you can relate exactly to what the Apostle Paul is describing here. Verse 16. Here's what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Anybody relate to that? Okay, like that's this week, right? Totally. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, or we might say the fruits of the flesh, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now what do we see there being described? The life in the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, and the life in the flesh... And what the flesh produces within us. And this is the daily struggle. If we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If he is going to be in control of our life. It is going to be on this level that we do the battle. That we surrender. Or as the text here says. To walk by the Spirit. Literally to get in line and to follow the Spirit. Which actually in this video clip. There was a real cool little illustration of this. I want him to play it. Go ahead if you would. This is exactly, here's a visual illustration. That's the end of the show. Now, if you're wondering, we're the horse. You get it? All right. You can learn a lot from a horse. All right. (laughs) Being filled with the Spirit is basically doing that every day. Spirit, where are you going? (laughs) Running after you. That didn't help. (laughs) But... (laughs) Pastor Steve, that's not a horse, that's a donkey. We all know that. All right, so there is your uh, refresher from last weekend. Now let's get to this uh, title that I don't like, How to Be Filled with the Spirit. Here's a title I like a little bit better. How to Cultivate a Relationship with the Holy Spirit that Allows His Control to Bear Good Fruit in Us. 
That's a little closer to what I really want to say. But let's talk about that now. Number one, to be filled with the Spirit is to actively submit to His control. Actively submit to His control. Let me read two passages of Scripture that relate to this. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The familiar Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, both of these verses are describing where this battle takes place. It is, it is a battle on the inside. It is an inward battle. It is a battle on the level of the thoughts and the desires, the mind and the heart. And let's just acknowledge that this is, even right now, as I'm talking right now, there's, there's all kinds of things that are churning in this room. Now, you're all sitting there, no, you're all being quiet and apparently listening attentively, but what is going on inside of you? All around this room, somebody over here is thinking about Sunday lunch, and somebody over here is thinking about the week they just had, and somebody over here is thinking about their family and some issue, and somebody over here is thinking about whatever issue that they're dealing with. And inside, right now, throughout this room, there's all kinds of inward thoughts and desires, affections that are churning within us. And this is the level that the battle for the Holy Spirit's filling takes place. And on this level, we have, definitely we have what is known as the flesh. This sinful nature that we got when we, we got it from Adam when he sinned and we live all of our life with it. Prior to salvation, we are basically, we're just given over to it. We are, Ephesians 4, darkened in our understanding. We are dead in our sins. We have no ability truly ultimately to have any victory over this sinful nature. It inclines us uh, by instinct to be selfish, to live pridefully. That is the flesh. But when I come to faith in Christ, now there is another power in me. Romans 6 talks about this. There is another power, a divine power. It is Christ in me, as Galatians 2 says, but it is the spirit of Christ within me. He now comes and indwells me so that the Christian has these two competing natures or desires, powers within. The old self which wants to corrupt, it wants to destroy, it wants to sin, it wants to rebel against God. And now the Spirit, who wants to restore, who wants to reconcile, who wants to bring life. And these two desires are always at work. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We come to church and our desires are, oh God, and the Spirit, and we sing, how great thou art. And then we... Get in the car and we drive home and we have this other thing that is at work suddenly and there's strife in the home and there's some other thing that comes up and all of a sudden now I'm like, rah! That's the flesh. The spirit wants to restore. The flesh wants to destroy. And on this level is the battle. And what it requires is 
an active submission to the control of the Spirit. If I could say it this way, regarding our little analogy with the horse and the rider, the horse naturally wants to live for itself. Even a horse that is broken still has that desire. That's why, you know, the, they have, what, there's a show on TV like Animals Gone Bad or something like that. And inevitably it's, you know, some trainer with a crocodile or alligator. He's done the show a thousand times and all of a sudden the crocodile, rah, you know, and it's hanging off of his arm and he's screaming and kids are yelling. And, you know, why is that? Why does the, why does the alligator do that? Because... You can take the alligator out of the marsh, but you can't take the marsh out of the alligator, right? He always has this natural inclination, and he's kind of thinking about it every show where he's like, I know I'm not supposed to, but I so want to just chomp on his arm. <laughs> and occasionally they do, and then they, get, they become famous. So this is what we have within us as well. We have this natural, destructive inclination to do things that will destroy us. And we have the desire by the Spirit to do what is pleasing to God, to do what is worshipful to Him, to do what is a living sacrifice to Him. If I am going to live by the Spirit, live under the control of the Spirit, I must feed the desires that are righteous and starve the desires that are not. Feed the Spirit, starve the flesh. And the way that we do that, there are many things more than I'm going to get into today, but what I'm wanting to say here is I must daily, daily, actively, purposefully surrender to the spirit and to say, I want what you want more than I want what I see my sinful natural self wanting. And unless we do battle on that level, we will not be filled with the spirit. Now on this, whenever I talk about this, there is an old teaching that I think sounds so good, it sounds so nice, it looks great on a Christian Hallmark kind of card, uh, but it is such a, in my opinion, destructive uh, teaching. You've probably heard of this, haven't you? The key to the Christian life is to just let go and let God. If you've ever been in a time of crisis, some well-meaning friend will come up to you, oh, my dear friend, just let go and let God. You know, and so you just, you think, oh, it sounds so nice. It must be true. It's not, okay? It is not true. And the reason that I say that is that, and by the way, the teaching, it comes from what is known as quietism or Keswick theology. And basically it says, everything that I do is corrupted by the flesh. So the key to living the Christian life is to do nothing. To ju- just surrender. Just, just, just surrender. And let God do it all. Well, the problem here is it ignores so many passages of Scripture that say things like this. Fight! Work! Labor! Strive! Struggle! Persevere! you got all these passages that are just like dripping with sweat. And it's not God's sweat. It is our sweat. We are active in this. 
And to be filled with the Spirit is to, it, it, it's not a passive where I just kind of, well, okay, God, you just do everything. It is where I actively submit and vigorously pursue the Spirit's fullness by biblical means of grace. And I develop that as a habit in my life. Let go and let God. This is like in the horse and rider analogy. The horse just kind of laying down and saying, okay, rider, you do everything. That doesn't work so well, does it? They make those kind of horses into glue. Uh, so <laughs> that is not a show horse. Now, we can't make you into glue, <laughs> but I do want to say, it seems to me that we have all too many laying down Christians who just sort of feel like, oh, the key, I'm just going to just surrender. I'm going to do nothing. That'll work really well. I just want God to do everything. And the Bible makes it clear that it is God who empowers. It is the spirit who creates the desire. It is God who gets the glory. But we have a critical role to play in this. Actively surrendering by seeking the spirit. And wanting his control in our life. And I could just ask you today, do you want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit or not? Do you want to be led by the Spirit? Or are you going to allow your flesh to lead you and ultimately to destroy you? Because that's what it wants to do. It wants to destroy you and it wants to defame the glory of God. So to the flesh, get what the flesh gives. So to the Spirit, get what the Spirit gives. And you can see it in that Galatians passage. What does the flesh give us? What's its, what's its wonderful bounty, enmity, division, strife, pain? What does the Spirit give? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. How many probably, well, I want, don't raise your hand, but I would have to say most of us would say, I like those better. Those sound a lot better to me than what the flesh can give. Well, then guess what? You've got to do battle with that flesh. Starve it. Kill it. And feed the desires. Feed the spiritual. And this is one of the keys to being filled with the Spirit. Secondly, is to recognize that to be controlled by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, means that... The word of God has a critical role to play in this. His word is his will. His word is his will. Now, there's a really interesting, uh, uh, what do I say it? It looks like a typo in the Bible. Now, I'm not suggesting there's a typo. But if you were looking for a typo, you might think that this is a typo. We have two passages of scripture that say almost identically the same thing. If you would put those up. Okay. Here's the Ephesians passage we studied last week. Be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? Addressing one another's psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. Well, then we get over to Colossians 3.16, and here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. They're almost exactly the same, aren't they? Except in the one, it says, be filled with the Spirit. In the other, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is this a typo? 
Was this like a mistake somehow? Which is it? Filled with the Spirit? Filled with the Scripture? And the answer is both. (laughs) Both. These two things are so closely related that they're essentially synonyms. You could swap those two things out in both of these verses. The Word of God is the will of God. And when the authors of the Bible wrote, the Bible itself says that the Spirit of God inspired them to write what they did so that they wrote the actual words of God. Words of the Spirit. So where where the Word goes, where the Word dwells richly, there also the Spirit goes. So when I have the Word of Christ dwelling within me richly, I am having the Spirit of Christ dwelling within me richly. They both go together. Do you see that? Just say yes. Okay. And this indicates the key role that the Word plays in the filling of the Spirit. He uses the Word to change our wills so that we want what He wants. Let me say that again. He uses the Word to change our hearts so that our desires are for what he wants. Now, because when we say things like, oh, I want to be led by the Spirit, it sounds nice, but what does it mean, really? How do I know if the Spirit is leading me to do this or that? How, How do I know that? Here's how. This is, in a sense, the Holy Spirit's bridle on us. You know, if, if we're the horse, he, he, he guides us. It doesn't work very well, but he guides us with his word. Uh, Psalm 119, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we look at that passage and we think, oh, it's some kind of an esoteric experience where suddenly I am led by the spirit. I have a kind of divine revelation. Actually, we have a divine revelation already. And the Holy Spirit, when he is dwelling richly in us, what he does is he conforms our will and our hearts to what the word inspired by him says. Now, I don't know if I I trust you know kind of what I'm talking about here. When we read the word, when we meditate on the word, when we hear the word being preached, when we memorize the word, whatever it might be, doesn't it change us? You know, you know what I'm saying? The uh, Emmaus Road disciples, when Jesus exposited the Old Testament to them, they said, what was not our, our, we're not our hearts burning within us. That sense of, you know what? The spirit is doing something with the word. It is the word and the spirit in the heart of the Christian that has its transforming effect. So that now I want what he wants and the desires or the, the decisions that I make are in conformity, conformity with what he wants me to do. So there is no filling apart from the word. It is the word and the spirit together guiding and directing us that leads us. I think this also tells us how important obedience is to being filled with the Spirit. We cannot just say, oh, I want to be filled with the Spirit, and our life is a moral wreck. To be filled with the Spirit is to be in conformity with His will for us. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. We can quench 
the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And the way that this work is, works is that sin, sin it, it, it quenches, it, it turns off the valve, if you want to look at it that way, of the Spirit's active work within us. It, it grieves him. A grieving spirit is not a fruit-producing spirit in us. So when our lives are in, not in conformity with what the Spirit wants for us, he's grieved by that. Think of that, Christian. I know there are some people here, no doubt in this room, that need to recognize that. The reason you are not experiencing the Spirit's blessing in your life is that your, your life is not in any kind of moral way pleasing to him. And you're like, well, what should I do? Repent. That's what you should do. Repent and confess that sin to God and man and make yourself right. And I guarantee you on the other side of that, there is going to be this sense within you like, wow, things feel like they ought to be now. It feels like love. It feels like joy. When we, when we make things right and when we tra- change our lives. So do not expect the fullness of the Spirit until you do this. And maybe that's the word that God brought you to this church today for. Now, most Christians, I think, know this experience. Uh, How do we feel on the other side of sin? How's it feel? Are we like, that was awesome. Now, sin is pleasurable for a season. The Bible also says that. But on the other side, when we come to our senses... How do we look back on whatever it is that we said or did or desired? Do we feel really great about that? We're like, oh, I want to do that again. That was wonderful. I don't think so. We feel hollow, don't we? Something's not right here. Something's missing here. I need to make something right. Paul or uh, David said that in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Take not your spirit away from me. And I think as Christians, we recognize that sin, sin's a bummer. I mean, sin is painful, isn't it? Sin is misery. I've been, uh, here's one example from my own life. I have been a male for 42 years now. And that means for, I don't know. 28 years now or so, I have been in the same battle that I think all men are in as far as battling for um, sexual purity and battling against lust. And over those years, there have been many times that I have um, had regretful moments where I think to myself, why did I watch that? Why did I let that linger on my TV as long as I did? I should have switched that about three minutes ago. And on the other side of those experiences, it feels bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's not good. That is not good. And I've learned to use the nasty way I feel on the other side of sin as a way to keep me from failing in it in the future. Like, you know, if I, I know what this feels like, I I don't want that. Sin produces misery. Sin hollows us out. Sin makes us weak. As the Puritan said, 
Sin is its own punishment. On the other hand, how do we feel when we deny a temptation? How does that feel? How, how does it feel when we obey God in a difficult place? You know what I'm talking about? Where you, the, the, the crocodile in you is going, and you're like, no, no, I'm going to do what is right here. I know God, and you're kind of, you know, the step is like this. You know, it's not easy, but you do it, right? You do it. He's like, God, I want you to bless me. I want you to please me. I want to serve you. I'm going to do what is right. And then there's something else. And inside there's this battle going on like this. And the flesh is going, don't do it. It'll be embarrassing. You're going to regret it. And the spirit's going, do it. This is, this is what my word says. And God will bless you. There'll be good fruit from it. And we obey in a difficult place. How does that feel on the other side? It feels great, doesn't it? It feels like joy. It feels, and I don't, experiential language I think is somewhat dangerous, but just to be honest, it feels within like peace. It feels like kindness. It feels like self-control. In other words, that is the fruit of the Spirit that flows from God's people obeying His Word, which is His will, which is how He leads us. Are you getting it? John Stott, wonderful book on the fullness of the Spirit, says this. God's norm is is one initiatory baptism with the Spirit, followed by a continuous and increasing appropriation of His fullness, which involves a steady growth in holiness and into Christian maturity. That is well said. What is filling of the Spirit? There you go. All right, next. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. You want to be filled with the Spirit? I would encourage you to ask him to fill you. I've prayed this prayer many, many times. It's a regular part of my prayer life in the morning. And I would suggest praying in the morning, by the way. I'm a fan of morning prayers. Um, To pray in your prayer time. Holy Spirit, today I want you to fill me. And in saying that, to say, I want you to control me today. I want to live under the direction that you give. Won't you please do this? Now, some of you are going, well, I don't know that there's any, any more in the Bible that we're supposed to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us. No, but Jesus taught us to pray that his will would be done. And I know his will is to fill every single one of his people. So this is a good prayer to pray, I think. And I think prayer is a powerful tool as well for uh, fulfilling. Because when I'm praying, what am I doing? I'm saying I am not sufficient for this. I need your help, God. In fact, I don't know if there's anything more effective for the filling of the Holy Spirit than genuine, heartfelt prayer. I can't help but notice Acts 2 and Acts 4, two of the places where it describes the filling of the Holy Spirit, both places they were praying before the filling came. Acts 4:31 and when they had prayed the place in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness. I have to believe if we prayed more we would be filled more. So I challenge the church to more prayer. Next, I got two more. To be filled with the spirit I would encourage you to inspect the fruit more than the experience. To expect the fruit more than the experience. You know, here's the danger. The danger when it comes to experiences, spiritual experiences, is that we want to interpret 
our the scripture by our experiences instead of interpreting our experiences by the scripture because the experiences are so can be so powerful that we want to make them absolute the scripture is over experience i need to interpret these by this all right so when we make the measure of our spirituality, these experiences, we're making them more important than they ought to be. Now, I'm happy to say that the Christian life is filled with experiences. Praise God it is. We shouldn't be afraid of the experiential aspect of the Christian life. However, we should not measure the Spirit's presence by whether we feel the Spirit's presence. That is all too subjective, isn't it? How can I know if I am filled with the Spirit? How can I know if he is is active in my life? Here's how. It is not the feeling, it is the fruit. It is the fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I say this because when you talk with Christians, there are all kinds of different stories that they will tell. I I came to faith in Christ when I was six, and I've slowly grown in my walk for these 30 years. Great. Other people. I was living just wild and crazy in college, and I had this super dramatic experience where I came to faith in Christ, and I instantly threw the marijuana down the toilet, and I didn't party anymore, and broke up with my girlfriend, and man, this huge thing like that. And the people that grew up, you know, they came to faith when they were six, look at those stories and go, man, my story's kind of boring. I don't have any kind of cool experience like that. And Other people will have these mountaintop experiences where just the sense of God is there and they they have this wonder and they tell the story and the people that have never had that specific experience go, wow, maybe I'm not even saved because I haven't had that kind of like, wow, moment like that. And so we want people, the tendency is to make these kind of experiences the measure of whether or not somebody is saved, mature in Christ, whatever. And this, I think, is a grave error. Some people have powerful moments of spiritual joy, and some Christians not as much. Let me give you an example. Jonathan Edwards, many of you know he's a hero of mine, pastor theologian like 250 years ago, one of the greatest theologians that America has ever had to this day. Yale has a study, whole study unit, and it's going to take them decades to go through the writings and the teachings of Jonathan Edwards. Okay, so when Yale is spending decades studying you, you said significant things. I think there's a local elementary school that will be studying my teachings, and it'll take about an hour or two. So we're dealing with, this is a guy, this is, this is, this is no anti-intellectual sort of guy. This is a deep theologian. But at the same time, Jonathan Edwards was also very comfortable with the experiential side of Christianity. And he wrote a book called Religious Affections. It's a classic about uh, the experience of the Christian life and the Holy Spirit. He was a part of the Great Awakening and tremendous things that happened during that time. Well, Jonathan Edwards had a few mountaintop experiences, one of which he describes here, and I want to read it to you as only Jonathan Edwards could say it. Here's Here's how he describes it. Once, as I rode out into the woods for my health in 1737... Having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer. 
I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ was to me ineffably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued as near as I can judge about an hour, which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust and to be full of Christ alone. To love him with a holy and pure love, to trust in him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him, and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. I have several other times had views very much of the same nature and which have had the same effects. Now, what do we do with that? I call that filling of the Holy Spirit. A time of experience where God's presence and his joy, as he only sovereignly can do, just blessed Jonathan Edwards. It was not a baptism of the Spirit. It was the filling of the Spirit. D.L. Moody also tells of his blessed experience when God just decided to bless him with a sense of his presence. And he says this, now quoting, There came a great hunger in my soul. I did not know what it was. And I began to cry out to God as never before. I felt I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. You may have friends, other Christians, who describe remarkable times and things where they were blessed. What do we say about that? Here's what I say. If that was for you something that drew you to a greater love for God, that blessed you spiritually, that made you want to serve him more fervently, then you know what? Praise the Lord. I'm glad that you had that. At the same time, though, we can't expect these things to be our own experiences all the time. The Spirit blows where he wills. He is God. Our formulas, our our checklists, we cannot control him. And so if he chooses to bless us in that way, great. If he doesn't, fine as well. These are not the measure of our spirituality. This was the problem in Corinth. The Corinthians, man, they had the spiritual gifts. They were all obsessed with, uh, specifically speaking, in tongues. And they thought that they were mature and all of that. And Paul says, I can't even... You're carnal, he says. You are spiritual babes. Because the measure of spiritual maturity is not spiritual gifts. It is spiritual fruit. The fruits of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I am like a noisy gong. I gain nothing. So what does that mean? Spiritual gifts and spiritual experiences without spiritual fruit mean nothing. The fruit of the Spirit is the measure, not the experience. Finally, to be filled with the Spirit, I want to say this. Please know, Christian, that the Holy Spirit longs to fill you. He wants 
to bless you. He wants to control you. He knows what is good for each of us. And he knows that he is what is good for each of us. We have in James 4 verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Envies intensely. The spirit of God in a kind of jealous way wants our hearts. He wants our devotion. He wants to fill us. He wants to bless us. Laziness and sin and lack of prayer and lack of God's word will not produce his filling in us. But if we seek him and if the spirit controls us and if we apply the word faithfully to our life, And if we do all that we can to treasure God above anything else in our life, this is a life that will be blessed by a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit. So may we all be filled with the Spirit and mutually bless one another with his gifts and his fruits. Right now, I just want to lead our congregation in a time quietly to let you i'm going to encourage you to do this why don't you pray that the holy spirit will fill you can we just do that right now just bow our heads right now why don't you pray and ask the holy spirit to do his good work in you and then i will lead us